Hello everyone. Today I would like to tell a story about the past of ferry MS Estonia. The ship was built in 1980 by Meyerwerft Shipyard in Germany and the ship was 157 meters long and she was a car and passenger ferry and uh, the same company had built ships for Viking Line in 1970s. It was a typical uh, Roro ship Rollon Rolloff, uh, which means cars and trucks drive into the ship themselves and are not lifted onto it as is customary with container ships. The bow structure consisted of a bow visor opening upwards and a bow ramp surrounded by it. First, uh, the ship sailed for the Finnish Viking Line company under the name Viking Sally and rode Stockholm Marie and Hamturgu, and that for the first 10 years. And in 1993, the ship was named Estonia, and she was the largest and most modern ferry sailing on the, the Estonian flag. She was traveling on the Stockholm to Tallinn road. Now let's go to the year 1986. Painted in red and white, Viking Sally had almost all the modern amenities you could want from a ferry. It had a swimming pool, sauna, nightclub and cinema, restaurants and much more. She travelled on the road Stockholm Marienham, which is the capital of Holland and Turku. On June 10th, 1986, the ship has uh, reached the port of Stockholm and, as always, the cleaning of the cabin begins in a hurry. The cleaner enters another cabin. She already has everything uh, ready in her head. First I will change the bed sheets, then clean towels, it is necessary to dust, etc. But she feels that the door does not want to open very well. She pushes the door a little harder, sticks her head in through the door, and the sight that awaits her completely freezes her. A dead body of a man lies in front of her. This is of course a complete shock, because no one considers such a thing. She quickly informs the ship's captain and the police. The police will investigate the matter. But the trouble was that all the passengers had already left the ship by that moment, and the shipping company cannot afford any delay either. It would be a very big financial loss, and it's clear that you don't want to put the matter on a very big clock, so as not to panic people too much. However, the police did a very good job, and it was quickly established that it was Antti Johannes Eljala, a 44-year-old businessman from Tampere and the police quickly tracked down Eljala's killer. Namely, Eljala had gotten to know two men in the bar of the ship, 33-year-old uh, Reo Hammar and his friend. And on the morning of July 10th, when the ship was about to arrive at the port, Eljala Hammar and the latter's companion had for some reason gone to Eljala's cabin, where the Hammar stole money from Eljala's wallet and this Eliala also noticed relatively soon, and he was going to inform the ship staff about it. But as he tried to leave the cabin and turned his back on the Hammar, Hammar attacked him from behind and stabbed Eliala five times in the throat with a dinner knife. When he noticed that Eliala was not dead yet, he grabbed um, a bedsheet, tore it into pieces and strangled Eliala to death with it. Hammar's friend was also there in the whole time and, and helped Hammar. I don't know the exact amount that Hammar stole from Eliala's wallet, but 
uh, it's still a very cruel crime for stealing some X amount. And I also have to mention that this Reo Hammar is a character of his own, because a whole episode could be probably written about him. I will now give a brief summary of his adventures. Hammar was found guilty of murdering Eljala, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. In Finland this means that if you have been in prison for 12 years, you can also apply for parole, which is also usually satisfied. But when Hammar had been in prison for about two years, in July 1988, he escaped from the central prison of Tura in Kakola, together with two other inmates shooting uh, one prison guard in the arm in the process. And while in exile, the men robbed banks on several occasions and travelled around Finland. Finally, they reached the very north of Finland, Lapland, and while there, he got into a fight with one of his travel companions, and uh, in the course of this quarrel, he struck the man on the head with an axe, and the man died. And from there they fled again, and after a few weeks they had reached Stockholm, where the police found them and took them into custody. And because of all these armed robberies and murders, he was considered the most dangerous criminal in Finland at the time, and was re-sentenced to life imprisonment. But despite the fact that he was an extremely dangerous criminal, President Tarja Halonen uh, pardoned Hammar in December 2004. By then he had spent 16 years in prison after an escape, escape attempt and was paroled, presumably because he had behaved well in prison. And uh, surprisingly he also managed to spend seven years in freedom without any major problems. But in 2011 Andras Hammar, now known as Andreas, was convicted of attempted murder. He was sent to prison for four years. So in theory, he's a free man again by now and should be uh, 69 years old. And now let's get back to Viking Sally and today's main story that I would like to tell you. The year is uh, 1987, one year after the murder of Eljala on Viking Sally. Exactly the same way we go into the month of July. Uh, it is Monday, July 27th. The weather is relatively cool for July, but the sea is calm. German students Klaus, Thomas and Bettina enter Viking Sally at 10 in the evening, with which they want to travel from Stockholm to Turku. It takes about 10 hours for the ship. On Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock, according to all assumptions, these uh, ships will arrive in Turku. The young people are currently on summer vacation and are planning to go to a famous rock festival, Ruisrock, that takes place in Finland on August 1st and uh, 2nd. Ruisrock is one of the oldest rock festivals in Europe. It first took place in 1970. In 1971, the, the audience record was broken there with 100,000 guests. Three friends traveled there a few days earlier to enjoy the fun and to party with other music lovers before the festival starts. Klaus is 20 years old and has nice blonde curls and Bettina is 22, thin and has long blonde hair. 
they have been a couple for about 12 a year already and both are always very good natured, sociable and they are newly in love. That is, their mood is constantly sublime and uh, since it is also their first holiday together, they are also very happy about it. And uh, Thomas is a little bit more modest. Klaus and Thomas have been best friends for years. They play football together in the FS Stuttgart team and they uh, study the same major at uh, the university. And uh, they planned this trip long before Klaus and Bettina became a couple. And because of this there is a bit of a strange situation between the three of them that actually Klaus would like to go on a trip with both of them, both with her both with his best friend and his bride, but Bettina would rather spend the holiday alone with Klaus, and Thomas would also be happy if he could only spend time alone with Klaus. They had to accept this situation. Since they were students, of course, they didn't have too much money to spend, and uh, consequently they hadn't bought their own cabin, because it was not mandatory on the ship. That way they could save money and uh, people could spend the night either somewhere on a bench peak or in such armchairs which were intended for overnight stays. And so they planned to just put down their sleeping bags somewhere and then spend the night there like young people do. And in the evening the friends buy some food and drink from the ship store and Thomas decides to go to bed early. He spreads out his sleeping bag in one of the lounges and falls asleep. But Klaus and Bettina are more sociable and they definitely want to be a part of the ship's fun. And it's good that they can then leave their sleeping bags and big backpacks there with Thomas. And it's easier for them to move around that way. So they head to the bar and there they immediately get to know some people with whom to talk. For example, one of them is a 26-year-old engineer from England. He kindly tells uh, the couple his colorful life story. He had done quite a lot of drugs during his university days and almost missed his engineering papers because of it. With uh, great difficulty he still graduated from university and also met the woman of his dreams, whom he really wanted to marry. But because he couldn't get rid of his drug addiction, his fiancé left him, unfortunately. And after that he decided to start his life uh, with a completely clean uh, slate and he moved to Israel to live in one of those communal houses called kibbutz. The ideological basis of the kibbutzism was uh, Zionism and Socialism. In the kibbutz, according to this original idea, uh, the means of production, income and children are collective property. In a word, uh, socialism, everything belongs to everyone. More or less that kind of communist stuff. And Gibbot's decisions are made in a weekly joint meeting. Male gender dominance, dominance is still observable there in the way of life. And in the general assembly men also speak mainly. Also, men are mostly elected to leadership positions, even though women have the same right to vote. There also exists a gender uh, division of labor between women and men, 
and there in the kibbutz this English young man met a girl from Finland with whom he fell in love but unfortunately the girl had to go back to Finland at some point and the young man promised to follow her but since he didn't have a lot of money he had to make a lot of breaks in his way from Ireland to Finland and to do and do odd jobs for a few weeks everywhere in order to earn money to travel further and now at last this young Englishman is there on the ship that will take him to Finland to his girl. He's overjoyed about it and therefore very talkative. His big dream is now coming true and also Klaus and Bettina get to know a Finnish car parts businessman who goes to buy parts from Germany and then sells them in Finland. This man also speaks uh, German very well and Klaus is a huge car enthusiast. He studies vehicle technology at university, so they talk for a long time. Bettina is not very interested in this, but she is also sitting there. And the Finn is so interested in this whole topic that she also wants to show Klaus the car parts in his van that he had bought. But because uh, during the voyage you must not go to the car deck, then it will be cancelled. Bettina is very happy about it, but the men agree that Klaus will go see them the next morning when the ship has reached the port and the car deck is open. And so it is already late in terms of communication and Klaus and Bettina also decide to go to bed. They go to Thomas and get their sleeping bags, but they decide that uh, they don't want to sleep at the Thomases. Instead, they want to go to sleep outside. They leave their big backpacks with Thomas. They choose a small corner for themselves in the open air next to the helicopter landing place. There is usually a corner place where they put down their sleeping bags, hug each other and fall asleep. By then the outdoor deck is deserted because it is already late at night and it is dark outside and most people are already sleeping. Around 3.30 in the morning the last bar on the ship closes and this is a clear sign to everyone that uh, it is really time for everyone to go to bed and it is the peace of the night, but not for four young scouts. They are planning to go on a Finnish international scout date, and they use this opportunity to have a little party already on the ship. And then it happened that three young men were from uh, Sweden and one was from Denmark and as said the bars are all closed but as always happens when the mood is high they want to party and uh, have a few more drinks so it happens that as drunken people do they are very noisy talk and laugh loudly and run around the ship and they are looking for somewhere else to party with someone and uh, this disturbs many people who would like to sleep if they're have already been many complaints about them, they decide to go to the outdoor deck because there are no people and they can talk as loud as they want. At 3.45 in the morning they reach the outdoor deck of the ship where Klaus and Bettina have already slept for a few hours by then. And when they get to the helicopter landing place where Klaus and Bettina are sleeping, they see that Klaus and Bettina are not actually sleeping. 
At first, they assume that the couple has also had too much to drink, because that's how it looks from a distance. It looks like a couple trying to get up again and again, with their sleeping bags. Sometimes they stand up, then they lean against the wall, but then they basically fall back down there again. And it seems quite funny to these young scouts to see two people in sleeping bags acting so strangely, and they decide to go to closer to them. And when they are already closer to the couple, they discover that there is a large pool of blood near Klaus and Bettina, and they themselves are covered in blood, and with uh, very large injuries. At once, the young men are in absolute shock. They gather themselves relatively quickly and disperse themselves. One young man is left to provide first aid to the couple, the other to go to inform the ship's crew. Relatively soon, both the ship's security officer and the nurse arrive on the scene and are completely speechless when they see Klaus and Bettina's injuries. Who would do something so brutal? A rescue helicopter will also be called from Finland immediately. At five o'clock in the morning, the helicopter also arrives. That is, an hour and fifty minutes after the young scouts found Klaus and Bettina. The couple is very carefully placed in the helicopter in a laying position and flown to a hospital in Turku. The ship's nurse accompanies them both to comfort and support them. At uh, 5.48 a helicopter lands in Turku hospital, but it is unfortunately too late for Klaus. He could no longer be saved. He died from severe injuries. Bettina is rushed to the intensive care unit and the fight for her life begins. At the same time, an investigator's team flies over to Viking Sally. They land there at 6.30. But the trouble is that the scene of the crime was right above the place where the helicopter landed and two helicopters have already landed there and due to the strong wind caused by the helicopter by the propeller, several pieces of evidence have also been blown away. However, investigators are still trying to save as much as possible and to find out what exactly happened there. For this, they initially put fences in front of the crime scene and no one is allowed on the outer deck of the ship. The scene of the crime looks terrible. All the places are full of blood, the floor where Klaus and Bettina had slept, the wall they had propped themselves up against, and of course the sleeping bags. At the same time, all kinds of police officers are called in uh, to be involved in this. This is big operation. Three cameras are set up in the harbor to film passengers leaving the ship, because someone on board must be a criminal. And similarly, the smaller ships that are sent to Viking Sally are gathered together to surround the scene to make sure no one tries to get rid of any evidence by throwing them into the water, for example, or that no one would try to jump into the water themselves and escape that way. A huge criminal investigation operation begins, with, uh, is, which is described as Finland's biggest so far. A total of 40 policemen go on board and surround the ship. 
the entire criminal investigation team, all the men from the foreign department as well as the police department's investigative experts are on the scene. The head of the case investigation at that time was Veli Matti Suikeli. Now all the cameras are set up, it's 8 o'clock and Viking Sally arrives at the port of Turku. The passengers are briefly informed over the loudspeaker of what happened and that the disembarking will be delayed so that the wait is not too long. Passengers are also offered a cup of coffee. At 8.15 the police start letting passengers out in groups of 50. Everyone on board is filmed and spoken to and each person's personal information is written down. It was all a very big undertaking because in addition to the 1,400 passengers on board uh, there were also around 200 crew members on board. So it all took some time. The cars still have to stay on the ship for the time being and it's all very complicated and time-consuming job because people get nervous if they have to wait too long and everyone has their own plans and also the fact that the ship has to pick up new passengers soon and return to Stockholm. The next ride cannot be cancelled. It would mess up the whole schedule and they would lose a lot of money. In the end it was uh, decided that the police would focus on men and they would uh, check men especially closely because uh, such a brutal act would most likely be done by a male person. The statistics are also obviously in favor of men performing such acts. So children, the elderly and families are let through more easily and it becomes a big fatal for them later because they don't have an accurate view who was more precisely on the ship. During the quick check, the police selected 20 men with whom they wanted to talk more closely. And they also wanted to talk to Thomas, who was a friend of Klaus and Bettina. Thomas is also completely shocked by the incident, and the police hope that he can still help them a little. But unfortunately, Thomas can't help the police, because according to him, there was no quarrel between them, and when Klaus and Bettina got their sleeping bags, he was sleeping so deeply, he even didn't hear it. And the fact that he slept there while Klaus and Bettina took their sleeping bags is also confirmed by several passengers. So Thomas had an alibi. And he had no motive to kill his best friend. After several hours of questioning, the police allows Thomas to leave the police office. The police also really wanted to talk to Bettina and question her so that maybe she could remember something, or she saw the face of the criminal. Bettina was still in intensive care at the time, and she was fighting for her life. Next, the English engineer who traveled to Finland to visit his bride comes into question, and inter interestingly, when the police exam examines the sleeping bag of this young Englishman, it is covered in blood, and that makes him a suspect. But the young man immediately has an excuse. He says it's his own blood because he had a nosebleed during the night. It's an interesting coincidence and the police don't want to believe him at first and immediately have the analysis taken and intensively question the English young man further. Because talking about 
nosebleeds is suspicious. But if you know the fact that I already talked about before, that uh, he was very much a drug addict from a young age, which he hides from the police, then uh, we would have a logical explanation for nosebleeds. The English engineer has been using cocaine for years and it damages the nasal blood vessels when consumed through the nose and nosebleeds are quite common in these individuals. The analysis taken confirm the English young man's claim that it was indeed his own blood. This rem removed him from the list of suspects. The rest of the men who were taken into custody by the police are also being questioned but none of them had blood stains on their clothes and there was no motive. On this point the police are a bit confused. They can't even find out what the young couple was attacked with. They say it was something like an axe or a hammer or it was the kind of an axe that can be used in case of a fire on a ship and what is available in every corner of the ship. But when the whole ship is checked over, it turns out that all the fire axes are still in their place on the ship and not a single one is missing. In the same uh, month of August, a few weeks later, two fishermen find a suspicious plastic bag near an island near Viking Sally's driveway. Light shorts, a red sweater, broken gloves with the initials HK and shoes size 41 are found in a black plastic bag. And it may be important that, that these shoes had such a bone that they were made for men who wanted to look a little taller. No blood was found on these clothes and they could not be linked to anyone on the ship. So that thread fell off. By August, Bettina has required enough to answer the police's questions. The police have very high hopes for it. Bettina says that she remembers going to sleep with Klaus at the helicopter landing place at night and she awoke to tremendous blows and violence, upon which she instantly lost consciousness. And that's all. She doesn't remember anything else about it. The fact that Bettina survived this attack was a real miracle, doctors later say. She had very big injuries. How Bettina coped with this whole terrible situation, nothing is known about it. Because if she was healthy enough, she went back to Germany and shut herself up and didn't want to go public with her story. And she remains silent about it to this day. So the police are basically at the dead end, but they won't give up. They're trying to question everyone who was on the ship that day and to question them again, but it will take a lot of time because there was a relatively international group on the ship and it is difficult to get in touch with all of them. Another interesting fact is that the police had plans to make the videos they recorded public when the passengers left the ship on the morning of July 27th, but it was strictly forbidden to them because there were some influential gentlemen on board that day who were there with uh, such ladies of whom their wives were not to know about. Four years later, in 1991, the police have done everything possible to find the criminal, but unfortunately without results and they closed this case with a heavy heart. Unfortunately, the criminal could not be caught in these difficult 
conditions, the police assume that the person who committed this crime had already jumped overboard the same night and escaped. And now he jumped forward 33 years to 2020. In September 2020, the Turku police announced that they had solved the case. It's a completely surprising twist to the whole story. According to Finnish law, murders does not expire. And in the case of the Klaus, it was murder, so the trial can take place even 33 years later. According to public broadcaster Ule, the Finnish murder case uh, would set a record if convicted. Never before in the country has there been such a long period of time between the crime and the judgment. It is clear that everyone wants to know who the suspect is, but the police is keeping it a big secret. The suspect will also remain at large until the trial. Because after so many years, the threat of concealment of or destruction of evidence no longer exists. And it is known that um, the Finnish authorities received information about the case briefly in uh, 2016. The suspect was none other than the same Danish coat who found the couple on the ship's deck. Danish Hermann Ha was 18 years old at the time, and he and three Swedes had found a couple on a ship, and he was actually the main witness in the beginning because he was the one who saw them first. And um, at the same time, he also spoke to several newspapers where he also described the youth who had been horribly injured, and he speculated that some type of hammer may have been the murder weapon. And it is also known that the Danish guy had changed his name in the meantime, after 1987, after he had left the ship. And it is also known that he had fallen into a criminal path. He had been convicted multiple times of robbery, theft and illegal possession of weapons. He was a relatively notorious criminal in Denmark, in that he had managed to escape from prison four times. The Finnish prosecutor's office became alert when his ex-wife contacted the police. She claimed her ex-husband confessed to the murder to intimidate her. In one text message to his wife, Hermann Ha wrote, I am a murderer and I can prove it. In another message he wrote, I can get very angry. I have already killed twice. Hermann's fellow prisoners, even police officers, reported that he had repeatedly confessed to the murder. But legally, of course, it's not all that simple. The court recognized Hermann's confession to the police in uh, 2016 as unusual, because the conversation had taken place without a lawyer, and not in the native language of the defendant. It was in English and not in Danish, and Hermann's lawyer had argued from the beginning that all the confessions had been made by his protégé only to provoke his fellow prisoners and appear stronger in front of them. And Hermann's ex-wife surprisingly announced at the trial that she did not want to testify. The court now decided that no confession was enough to prove the Danish uh, guilt. Even the fact that 
He later referred to the hammer as a possible murder weapon in an interview in 1987, which it was, does not prove that he had the specific knowledge of the crime. According to forensic experts, the Germans were probably attacked with a welding hammer or a hammer-type object. Also, none of the witnesses saw Hermann Haar on the helicopter deck before the crime. Furthermore, it could not be proven that the, his clothes were bloody when he came onto the helipad after the crime. And so it happened that um, the prosecution suffered a serious loss on the very first day. The main evidence was declared void and Hermann Haar was declared innocent in 1921. He was a free man. And in addition, Hermann Haar received 3,000 euros in compensation from the Finnish state. The prosecutors disputed this decision and appealed it further. And I have no more information about it. When will the next trial take place or if at all? And that's how this murder was rem has remained a cold case to this day. However, it is strongly believed that a young English-speaking man is behind it. Passengers saw him acting strangely, but police wasn't able to identify him. He was probably a stowaway on board. <laughs>